Hey, what's going on? Welcome to tonight's show. How you doing? I was trying to think in my head what the catchphrase is. Uh, I think it's um, it's avenge father, rescue mother, and kill Vizor for your one, one of those things. I wanted to repeat that to myself over and over again. And I didn't do it because I couldn't remember it off the top of my head. And I've just told you what my plan was for an aborted introduction that never took place. Uh, it's one of those kinds of nights. Now, I'm actually really excited about tonight's show. We had uh, a bunch of different pivots on what exactly was going down. And ultimately, I'm really glad that we're talking about this film. I feel like there is plenty to say about it. And uh, I picked a guy who's perfect for these types of shows. He's uh, he's a friend to the show, uh, been on the show uh, quite a few times. And um, he's like one of the he's like a great guy for talking about this kind of stuff. He just really is um, the director of one of my favorite film festivals, the Genre Blast Film Festival, where everybody um, feels included and apart and whole and having a good time and whatnot, uh, knows how to foster community. It's wonderful. Um, and uh, uh, just a deep, passionate lover of films. Uh, I'm going to bring out. Nathan Ludwig. There Hello. he is. Good What's evening. Up? What's up? You listen now. Now, before. OK, I, I lied. I said we we're going to launch right into it, but I feel like a congratulations is due before we launch in. Um, in addition to everything that Nate does, he also is like a writer and not like I mean, he's a screenwriter, but he's also like a book writer, like he writes books and stuff. And I'll tell you. I've tried to write books. I've tried to like do it. It's really friggin' hard. It's hard to do that sort of stuff. That's a whole different. Someone would say that screenplay writing is difficult. Now, yes, it is difficult, but writing books is a whole other level of difficult. And uh, Nathan has done it more than once now. And so I just want to wish him a big congratulations. He has a brand new book out. It was it was a novella that was promoted to novel. Yeah, um, which is really awesome. Uh, it's called Love Potion number 666. Yes. And it's coming out to give us all the details, Nate. So uh, you can get Love Potion 666. My debut novel is available on the app Godless, which is an awesome app for horror and trash and grindhouse uh, ebooks only, digital only. Uh, go to godless.com, get the app on your phone. May 13th, you can get it as an ebook on Godless early. Uh, if you want to do the traditional route, May 27th, you can get it on Amazon, uh, uh, paperback and uh, Kindle. So there you go. And I will have my own stash of copies in June, a couple weeks after the release date. If you want a signed copy, you can hit me up on the social media and I'll mail one to you. That's right. And we'll talk. We'll do all the handles and stuff at the end. Uh, the last thing I want to say is I've read this book, you guys, and I'll tell you something. I read the opening ch chapter, right? And then I turned the page and the very next title, I'm not spoiling anything. This is not a spoiler. I'm not going to say it out loud. All I'm going to say is I read the title to the second chapter or the second, whatever part, the, the, what, the chapter, second chapter of the book. And I immediately had to know the answer to this statement that is made. It absolutely gripped me and captured me in. So go check that out today or Thank not today. It. When it's, yeah. Your, uh, your opinion means a lot to me, Jeff. So I appreciated that you liked it. And oh, uh, it was, it was wonderful to read and I'm honored uh, that you would allow me to read it early like that. It was wonderful. Yep. Very exciting. Cover reveal this Friday, 
uh, check Ooh. it out on social media. You'll get to see oh. the full cover reveal on uh, Friday afternoon, probably. So that's exciting. Um, so we're here today to talk about the Northmen. And what's interesting for me, right off the bat, I feel like this is kind of like a one-two punch. This is almost like a double feature review in the fact that we did Nightmare Alley. Go check that one out. That's long, you guys. That's like two and a half hours. But it's it's like we really, we, we take that movie beat by beat by beat. And um, th there are, th I wouldn't say the themes are similar, but there's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's simple and complex all at the same time. It was my favorite movie of last year, I think. Um, it's up there. If it's not my favorite, it's in the top three. Absolutely. Um, I was actually referring to the Northman is simple yet complex at the same time. Oh, but I thought yes. you were talking about Nightmare Alley. Yes. No, yes, no. Yes. Well, I didn't want, you know what? I was going to say that the, it, thematically it's similar, and I don't think thematically is similar, except, well, there is one part. We're going to spoil the crap out of this movie, by the way. So don't, like, if you haven't yeah. seen this movie yeah. yet, don't watch this. We are about to spoil it beginning right now. But um, it's, it's Hamlet. So if you already yeah. know Hamlet, you know how this movie is going to end. So, right. Like, uh, 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 kind of, sort of, pretty much. Uh, uh, yes. No, no, partially. It is it is overall the story of Hamlet. Little little backstory. I'm just going to drop some some knowledge bombs here. Super quick rundown. The story is Hamlet, but the uh, Amaleth, I think it's that's how you pronounce it. Amleth legend. Yeah. Yeah, it's a legend, uh, a Scandinavian legend that Shakespeare got the inspiration for Hamlet from. So this is actually older than Hamlet, the story, the saga, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then Shakespeare or whoever Shakespeare might have been or whatever, however that worked, that whole legend, myth, whatever, or real person or whatever, that was then folded into... Um, Hamlet, the story of Hamlet. There's a lot of similarities there, all the big brush strokes, and there's a lot of stuff where things kind of deviate. And then here's the thing. God, I don't even know how to begin with this because, like, first we got to start with Robert Eggers, the director, <laughs> who is, I think we all, all us like, you know, genre, um, uh, just genre lovers, diehard genre lovers, we all love Robert Eggers. We all love him. We love what he does. Absolutely. Yeah, you have you have some naysayers, but um, he would you own, But really, I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, he's awesome. Um, I've only seen the lighthouse once. I am not a lighthouse expert. I loved it. I've seen the witch several times. Um, I would have to say I still love the witch probably the most out of all three of his films, but they're all fantastic. So it's up to you. Which one do you think is your favorite? Uh, we're going to really get into the Northman here, and there's a lot to like about this film. Um, I, I went and saw it Sunday night. And, you know, one of the best things about going on like a Sunday night or a Thursday night, especially lately to a movie theater, is you usually have if you go to like the 10 o'clock show, you usually have it to yourself. There might be one or two other people in the theater. I think there's like two other people in the theater for me. But it feels like your own private screening room, which is it's sad for the state of the movies. But it's nice to be able to go to a movie and just be like, hey, this movie screening kind of just for me. And uh, this movie has to be seen on a big screen. Dune. Absolutely. I watched a documentary on YouTube with Robert Eggers. He's like, Dune, I had to go see Dune on a big screen. You have to see the, the Northman on a big screen. You got to see these movies on a big screen if you can. I know some people don't want to 
go to places like movie theaters because of COVID and because everything that's going on, that's fine. That's your choice. But if you can make it out to a movie theater, got to see the Northman on, on the big screen before it's pure it, cinema, before it man. leaves. Absolutely. It, it's, you know, that's a, that is a uh, really sort of pretentious eye rolling sort of thing to say, but it, it applies to films. It applies to certain films. There are films that are pure cinema and need to be experienced in the cathedral. That is the cinema. And the Northman is one of them. And just to touch quickly on the body of work of Eggers. I love everything that Eggers does. Eggers is the type of guy who I'm going to see what he's a director name. He pulls, He's the one who sells the movie, not the He's cast, the selling else. point. Yes, he's absolutely. the selling point. So I'm going to see the movie. Yes, uh, anybody who's in it is a bonus, but I'm there solely because it's Eggers' movie. I'd say the same thing. There's so many directors that are like that. So he's one of those types of directors. What's funny is I went to go see The Northman with my father, um, and he, it was funny. He was interested in seeing it. But I, I was afraid to reveal to him. I, I, I had dragged my parents. I saw the witch with my parents. I took <laughs> them to go see it. I convinced them to come with me to the Alamo. And when the crow starts nibbling on the, the woman's breast, my dad just goes, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. He gets up and just like walks out, <laughs> walks out of the, um, the theater. He just walked out of the movie. He was like he was done with the movie. And it wasn't because he was offended by a crow nibbling on a, on a, on a nibble on a nipple it was because he um he just likes realism he likes a certain amount of realism he doesn't like anything that's like magic or supernatural and the witch got i i was trying to sell him on the authenticity of the time period and how eggers like you know was very you know accurate period accurate and everything that he was mm -hmm. doing and that really sold my dad but then once he saw the witchcraft he was just he was out of there and the i had to i decided to tell him and he was a little hesitant but he ended up loving the Northman as well because the Northman does the thing. Did you watch the Vikings show, Nate? I have seen halfway through it. I got up to the part where, well, I don't even want to spoil it. You know, I got. I've I seen got, all of it. You can spoil it. Spoil the shit of it. Go ahead. Spoilers for Vikings. I got all the way to where the main character. Uh, what's what's the main Vikings name? I can't remember his name. Uh, Ragnar Lothbrook. Ragnar Lothbrok, I got to the end of his his arc basically, and his son's takeover. That's where I stopped, so I need to catch up. Um, Without spoiling it for Nate, I will just tell you, Nate, the show hasn't even begun yet. If you can oh, imagine, I know, I know, the show hasn't even begun yet, dude. Um, that that whole scene where they sack <laughs> Paris, I'm like, this is yes. this is insane. Like, yes. holy shit, it, yes. And just to think that that's just like the interlude to like the show, like the show really takes off with the sons. And I, I won't say anything else. Just to watch it. Um, but what's interesting is the tone of Vikings is really cool because it's it's done on the History Channel, and they don't really and yes it's fictionalized and dramatized to an extent but they do not and these are characters that deeply believe in their mythology and their gods and their religions and they find a way to stylistically immerse you in those elements while at the same time telling you we're not saying that these things are real at all we are just showing you what they believe and the northman lives in the same world in my opinion it's like you could almost imagine the Northmen is happening in a different time frame than, say, Vikings. They're all sort of interconnected in that kind of way, you know? I like that it did not shy away from showing the Vikings doing their brutal stuff, like going on a raid. You see brutal. the scene. Brutal. You see that scene early on after, after the, the whole... 
yeah, when 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 Alexander Skarsgård, the young prince who is who escapes being killed, he grows up to be a berserker as in this raiding party, and they sack a village, they enslave the the able-bodied, and they they take all the old people and the the babies and the infirmed people and shut them up in a building and set it on fire and get rid of them. So like they are not, it's not, this is not the Hollywoodized version of the Vikings with like Kirk Douglas, where everybody's right. like, Ooh, let's go on an adventure. Hey. These, these are terrible so. people, but you're still into it because I don't need a sympathetic character to be into a film. It's nice to have one. If it's the well things, done, you know what? It's not necessary. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Um, you know, Alexander Skarsgård is a sympathetic character, but he's also kind of part of this really brutal Viking raiding party. But that's the way it is. What it is is basically, you know, he might as well have a T-shirt that says it is what it is, because uh, that's that's his lot in life. And that's that's how he survives is by being this berserker. And you can kind of get the Yeah, he's he's along for the ride with this stuff. But you can tell he's not he's not as like pot committed as some of these other 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 people, you know, uh, other Vikings. So. Well, what's interesting, a couple of things I want to weigh in on here, and I apologize for speaking over you, Nate. Um, no, you're fine. The, uh, I, I get so passionate, and then I forget that I'm having a conversation uh, <laughs> with people. Um, the First of all, this is a different time period, and uh, they commit the Vikings committed horrible things. A lot of people throughout history did really horrible stuff. It doesn't change the fact that they are our protagonist for the story, or at least they start off as our protagonist of the story. And that protagonist, again, it speaks to this notion of the idea that we're not not um, elevated storytelling or, you know, nuanced storytelling does not need to have good and bad guys. You just simply have protagonists and antagonists. The protagonists are not necessarily good or bad, and the antagonists are not necessarily good or bad. What they do is they are conflicting forces, and we are usually on one side of the point of view. Um, whether it's a good side of the point of view or the bad side of the point of view, we still, and you know, it's funny, even if you're on the antagonist side point, point of view, you may still root for the antagonizing factor because you're on that side. That's what you're seeing everything from. So the movie basically, we're, like I said, we're not going to do beat by beat, but an overall thing is he starts off, uh, main character, he start, uh, Amal, Amoth, Amoth, he starts off as a prince. Uh, his dad, Ethan Hawke, is the king. His uncle, um, his uncle kills his father. And, you know, Willem Dafoe is there. Willem Dafoe, and here's the thing, too. You also see a lot of Lion King, which is also based on Hamlet. There's a lot mm -hmm. of Lion King. Uh, Willem Dafoe plays a combination of Rafiki the monkey as well as Yurik from Hamlet. He's both characters. And, um, yeah, you know, uncle kills king. Um uh, you know, kidnaps the mom, kid escapes, he makes this pledge, and that was in the marketing campaign. And it, it was a really good sleight of hand, that marketing campaign. It made it seem like the movie was just going to be a really paint-by-numbers, straightforward revenge epic. And we, I was okay with that. I was going into that. I was like, just like with The Village, with mm -hmm. M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. I'm like, okay, creepy monsters in the woods. I'm down with this. But um, where it differs from M. Night Shyamalan in that, uh, or at least that movie, is that we, we essentially are, we, we go in uh, perfectly accepting that we're going to get this revenge story and everything gets turned on its head in the best way possible. Our minds get 
blown blown wide open. The village that they raid, by the way, he gets taken in by berserkers who were crazy Viking warriors. They hallucinated on mushrooms and would <laughs> pretend to be shapeshifters and would pretended that they were wolves. And yep. then they would go in and just like rip everybody apart, basically. Um, they enslaved the women. Uh, they and more than that. Uh, and that was their business to pillage and plunder. And uh, that was a Christian, a Slavic Christian village that they that they captured. And that's one of the things I loved about the show Vikings is they actually have scenes where they're like, all right, who are we going to pillage next? That was their, those were their town hall meetings. Right. Where are we going to go next to plunder? We're going to go to, you know, right. go to England and uh, wherever they landed the first time. I forget the name of the place. Uh, uh, Wessex. Wessex with the Abbey. And and when they landed yes. there. Um, Athelstan. Athelstan. Yeah. Such a great show. I got to go back such and get my show. wife to watch that show with me. She'll love it. Um they just that's their economy that's their livelihood is that we're going to go take other people's shit it's not it's their about religion it's exactly. literally their religion so i love that about the show it didn't really go into that detail here um it, it, when he's a boy and you know ethan hawk is the king and his his mom is nicole kidman and you know i can't pronounce the the uncle's name klaus i Cla well, Klaus. he's Claudius. We'll call him Claudius in the thing because he's the Claudius character. Claudius, yeah, and Gertrude, his mother, and and right. um, it's more of a kingdom. It's not. I don't know if they're really more traditional Viking raiders in that. It, it may they maybe they are. They don't really go into a lot of detail. Um, what you're talking about, Ethan Hawke's kingdom? Yeah, yeah. Is he it, is rules it, over an island? Yeah, in Norway. And so they are they are coming back from battle, but I don't know if they're necessarily raiders, Viking raiders. Um, I mean, 100%. all they, they all do that though, but that's what they yeah. all do. Like, yeah, 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 and yeah, it's yeah. part, it's literally part of their religion to go into battle, to do that. If they die in battle, they go and they sup, uh, at the table next to Odin in Valhalla. So it's yeah. like, so they just, they were not afraid of, they're not afraid of death. They're not afraid of dying. They don't, but they literally do not believe. And that's why they were such fierce warriors to go up against. Cause they just did not care about bodily safety they were just like okay if it ha if this is it this is it I'm, I'm cool with it um what's an interesting detail because we both watch vikings i know you will appreciate this harold finehair is the king that runs the claudius character out of his mm -hmm. king, out of the kingdom I, I, I thought about that during the movie i was like that was in vikings i remember yes, that guy yes i mean i would that and i loved that i knew that and uh or i love that we knew that and um it just it almost makes it a shared universe. You I imagine yeah. Harold Finehair being the guy who kicked him out. Um, and that's the thing about the kings. There's lots of king uh, kingdoms within Norway. Harold Finehair was the first one to unite them all under the banner of Norway. And um, I guess maybe that might even have been what had been happening at that point. But he gets exiled. Claudius character, along with Amalus mother, Nicole Kidman, uh, and his son, who's the cousin of Amaleth or whatever his name is, um, mm -hmm. that they, they all wind up on Iceland and on a farm, mm -hmm. right? And um, just like the what, ask the ass crack of of the world, like there's there's yeah. nothing going on here. This is like yeah, middle middle of nowhere Iceland. I think they shot this in Ireland, so they did a cr pretty good job of making it look like Iceland. But they're in the middle of nowhere. This is like the only farm for miles and miles and yeah. hundreds of miles. Yep. And, and that's uh, what they would do. They would, they would set up, you, you'd set up your, your, you, you'd pick a God that you really liked, like your favorite sports team. Mm -hmm. And you'd set up a stadium yep. and you'd worship that guy or girl or whoever. In this case, it's uh Freyer, 
who, prayer. Yep. who um, uh, the Claudius character worships. And uh, he has a son with Nicole Kidman. They have a kid. Yes. And, um, and in any case, what's his face? He goes from being a berserker. He finds out some info about his uncle. He decides he's going to go over and uh, yeah, he's like, he's like, revenge. he's like, where are these slaves going? Basically kind of like an awful right. thing. And right. they're like, oh, they're going to, uh, you know, was it, is it, what, what is the uncle's name? They're going to Claudius basically. Yeah. Um, let's just call him Claudius. I can't yeah, remember the name. <laughs> they're going to Claudius. Um, <laughs> I've seen the Kenneth Branagh version of Hamlet like ten times, so it's uh, it, that, right. that, those characters are burned in my brain. Which, um, which which has oh no, that's not Ethan. Which is the Ethan Hawke Hamlet? There, there's uh, Ethan Hawke Hamlet as well. Yes, it came out around two thousand. It was like Bill Murray right. is in there, like was like Polonius or something <laughs> like that. Um, so yeah, he's like, where are these slaves going? And like, oh, really off the cuff, and they're like, oh, they're going to your uncle. Like they don't know he's his uncle, but that's basically right. where they're going. He's like, right. shit, it's time for some revenge. But he also runs into Bjork at the same time. And Bjork is this kind of witch ghost kind of in the ruins that is just like, you remember your revenge pact? You know, he has visions. He has the visions. Right. Yeah. She's like, you need to go do that shit right now. This is your chance, basically. Right. So he he pretends to be a slave um, and dresses up like a slave and gets and burns himself and burns himself. He brands himself on his chest. uh, Big script note. Big script note. Big Chekhov's gun right there, which I was. Was going to come good? back. It, that leads to probably the best scene in the film, which I was like, oh, smiling, my God, I just tackling through the whole scene. I was like, what the fuck? This is great. Just jaw, dro- jaw dropping my jaw when yes. that happened. And I'm just going, well, well, that's a whole that's I think that's the meat of our discussion. We're going to get there in one second. Um, yeah, he goes over there. He had forgotten his pledge. He becomes a berserker. He's all tripping on mushrooms and committing atrocities. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I have a revenge plot. I need to commit uh, against my uncle. I'm going to go do that because the, the <laughs> time is the time is right. He prefer- he meets one of the girls um, played by Ann Taylor Joy, who's in the from The Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, I Listen, I think she's a fantastic actress. And but she's I have to awesome. say she's great. In thoroughbreds, was, too. If you've ever seen thoroughbreds. she's great in thoroughbreds. I was really not happy with her accent in this movie. It's supposed not to be lie. a Russian accent because they were in the land yeah. of the Rus, right? So it's supposed yeah, to be it kind was of Rus. a Russian Slavic accent. Not terrible, but it, I guess it could have been better. But it didn't um, work. It did not. I would be remiss if I didn't at least say it didn't work for me. We're high praise for this movie all around. But oh, I'm just gonna say movie. It not yeah. that was the one aspect that really kind of just I was like didn't really work but yeah they go over there they basically it then the movie then kind of becomes like a infiltration movie it's like a like an espionage double agent sort of situation we know that who he really is the characters don't and and that's some of that beautiful you know story uh sorry uh screenplay story mechanics where the audience knows the truth but the characters do not. And we're watching and waiting to see how the characters are going to find out. And some people complain that those kind of movies are predictable, but I'm going to have to disagree. I like watching the wheels in the characters heads turning and figuring things out for themselves. Um, Quentin Tarantino is also very good at that. Um, you know, sometimes the audience knows where this is going. It's not what you tell. It's how you tell it. So even if you know how this movie's going to end or how any movie's going to end, 
as long as they stick the landing and the execution, it can be more entertaining than a movie with a crazy twist ending. I think, I think people that try to shoehorn twist endings into movies just to fuck with the audience or to come across as smarter than your audience. Those are way worse than movies that are predictable, but very well made and well done. You know what I mean? I, there's nothing wrong with a simple, predictable story. It's totally fine. You can't listen. That's why people make movies based on on Shakespeare. That's why movie people make movies. If you take the template of something tried and true and then apply something kind of unique or you, you put your own skin over it, you're just going to have really good bones. And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, you know, uh, the, the story of Frankenstein. I was listening to uh, the Writer's Blockbuster podcast that has uh, oh, our yeah. friends uh, Jimmy and... Uh, this guy, Jamie, who I don't know, but our good friend, Bob, who who would have been yes. on the show with us tonight, uh, thundergrunt.com, check all that out. And they were talking about like, um, they were talking about how like alien is Jaws in space. And it's like the same thing with like Frankenstein. Like you could do thank Frankenstein, um, Frankenstein like this, Frankenstein like that. It's the same story. Science gone amok. We know how it's going to go, but we just want to see how it's done. And in this case, it's Hamlet. It's Hamlet, in but with Vikings. And it's just really cool. But then this happens. All right, ready? Let's let's go into it. Let's tear into the, the meat right now. The We get to that moment where we get to that moment where, um, where we're, what we're waiting for, the scene, Amalith tells his mother yes. that... I, hey, I'm your son. I'm not your slave. I'm your son. And the react and what happens, I was not expecting this at all. But at the same time, I'm thinking in my head, I am thinking in my head. One thing I'm thinking of is that like I'm looking at the mom and I'm looking how at Nicole Kim and I'm looking at how happy she seems to be. And I'm going, maybe there's not maybe she's like totally stoked to be there. Maybe she's not going to respond well to what he's expecting. Uh, well, what happens, Nate? Let's set this up a little bit. Yeah, In Hamlet itself, Queen Gertrude, she poisons Claudius by putting poison in his ear. She So she does kill her husband in Hamlet as well. But she doesn't seem super psyched about the whole thing like she does in this movie. You know what I mean? Am I wrong? Am I misremembering things? No. Because in this, in this movie, they go for it. Because he's like, Mom, I'm here to save you. It's me. Amleth. And she's like, fuck, you're alive? <laughs> and we're just like in the audience, me and my dad are like, what? <laughs> what? Because basically. She's almost like, oh, shit. Yes, that's exactly her to, response. We forgot to kill you. <laughs> like, and one of the things. You're not supposed to be here. That's great about this movie is because there's so much shit to talk about. But real quick, the guy yeah. that tries to kill Amleth. He gets his nose cut off when he's pinning, yes. pinning him down. Yes. And so it's a really cool gore scene where this guy gets the front of his nose sliced off so you can see his nostrils dead on. Yeah, he's missing his nose straight up. So for the rest of the movie, he's one of he's one of the uncle's like closest guards or whatever. And right. he basically says, I killed him and I threw him into the ocean. So he's not like he cut my nose and got away. So right. he lies. Because it's like, how embarrassing yeah. is it mm -hmm. that this little kid cut off my nose and I didn't kill him yeah. back? Like, I have to like lie and say that he's dead. So in you the know. rest of the movie, this guy's walking around with no nose, which I mean, that's got to be torture back then. Like sinus yes. infections, allergies. I mean, that guy's probably miserable 24 seven. But um, what makes it what elevates everything further is that 
is that friggin' we know that he's just he literally doesn't know that the guy who cut off his nose is right in front of his face right there right there it's awesome it's awesome the whole time i kept like geeking out on that i'm like dude he's right there cut off your nose you don't even know it before i forget there's one thing i want to mention go ahead a lot of people were expecting another version of the revenant with this movie and Mm. not Mm. really it's not really that kind of film uh, it's this movie is not about the plot, even though there is one. This movie is that's like the last thing that's considered in this film, because there's a lot of transitions that are, that seem very abrupt and very jarring with no buildup or follow through. So you have the beginning where the, where the kid escapes and then you just cut to 20 years later or whatever. Right. And he's a berserker. And then you just abruptly go, OK, I'm going to go back on my revenge. And then, OK, we're on the farm. It's all very just this is where we need to be. And I can see where some viewers would be like, well, what the fuck? Like, where's the where's this? Where's that? But this movie is more about feeling things and more about absorbing the it's like watching a painting. Basically, it's watching a tapestry unfold, you know, a sensory tapestry unfold in front of you. And that's what Robert Eggers does really well. You can Mm -hmm. say that about all his films. It's more about the characters and it's more about a time and a place than it is about a you know, the cogs and wheels of an actual plot unfolding in front of you, which I actually is refreshing sometimes. Now I will say that David Lowry, the director of the green Knight and ghost story. I'm glad you brought him up. His stuff does not work for me. I've tried to watch his stuff. Did you watch green Knight? Did you watch green Knight? I appreciate the artistry, but for my personality, it doesn't work for me. It just didn't work for me. It was just the green Knight was just okay for me. And maybe I need to go back and watch it again. But I just feel like, and I'm not saying he's a bad filmmaker. He's a great filmmaker, but his stuff just doesn't work for me. That's all. I I really enjoyed the Green Knight. However, I thought it really dipped in the middle. I was just kind of like going like, ugh. like it just started to really slag. But I agree. then, but the then what was, happens? Is, yeah, the ending ending's great. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. great ending. Great ending. And that's the pr- and and you know like that was kind of like because I'm looking at the runtime of this Green Knight movie and I'm going like, my lord, like. It's we're like about 40 minutes in. And what's really cool about the Green Knight, too, like I first of all, I just love well, I don't want to get distracted, but the green I, I did really enjoy the Green Knight. And I love you know, I know that story as the girl with the ribbon around her neck. I didn't yeah. know it came from that legend. Like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was like, and I'm going, like, what's with the green sash? Why does he have the green sash? Like, I don't get it. Why, why does he uh why mm-hmm. does he keep that thing on? And uh, and then when it flashes back, so what it ends up doing is the movie is saved by these. And here I'm about to tie it back into the Northman right now. Ready? All right, I'm gonna I'm just gonna fucking drop this this thing. The 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 movie The Green Knight is saved by these deep deep themes um, surrounding you know bravery, authenticity, integrity, you know um, all these values that you're supposed to have as a knight or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the Northman works in a similar way where we have a very bare bones plot of revenge that we, as I said, we're thinking we're going to get this very basic paint by numbers revenge story, but it's done in a really cool setting. So that's why it's worth watching two hours of a very simple sort of thing. However, the whole movie gets turned on its head in this one scene. Suddenly we are, we are face to face with all sorts of, 
reversals, so many subversions of what we thought we were getting. Suddenly he comes face to face with his mother and this woman he's waited 20 years to tell his 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 life's purpose, his story, his true identity, everything, his his truth as he understands it only for his mother, the person that brought him into this world and the person that essentially was the foundation of what his universe would become basically destroys his understanding of the world uh, symbolically by going, saying these things. One, you, I was a slave to showing him the same scar that they are one and the same Two, uh, I was forced to marry your father and you are a product of the R word. I was mm -hmm. forced upon and you came into this world and you are a testament to that violence. Three, I wanted Claudius to do those things. I asked him to do that. I'm yeah. the reason why this I, all happened. I liked it. It's basically like, hey, look, I've been super evil like the whole time, like super yeah. duper. Evil. Like you see this first scene where they interact when he runs into her chamber and she's like, you don't come in here without knocking. That's oh, like that's like the first it. interaction between her and her son. It's just like she's like, get the fuck out of my room. And it's like, wow, dick much, you know? So <laughs> it, it, it's and, and forget, forget <coughs> just, just the storyline of Hamlet altogether. Just just in a vacuum, this movie, when she does that, you're kind of for a second, you're like, Oh shit, should he even be here right now? None of wants him here. He doesn't, there's nobody to save. You know, they're happy, you know, but then you're like, wait a minute. His dad really did love him as a son. Like that was like that was one of the one things that was actually genuine was that Ethan Hawke's character actually did love his son. He was Very the only much. one that he was the only one that did that. Whole, yes. That was that was the whole point of that ceremony when they were barking like a dog. Yeah. With Willem Dafoe's character. That was a bonding ceremony between a father and a son. He wasn't so just a prop. You know, that was a really cool scene, too. Yeah, um, they were going on a vision quest or whatever. It's like going on a fishing trip. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that was their thing. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I mean, like just tripping on hallucinogenic mushrooms with your, uh, you know, with your twelve-year-old son. No, no, no. You're, you're, dude. You're, you're so right on. And I didn't even think. You know, it's funny. I didn't even think about that or think about what that alludes to because now jump back to the scene we were just talking about after what Nate just said, and now he is confronted with his mother not only destroying his understanding of the world because that's ultimately how you have to look at the revenge it's not a story of revenge and that's what eggers pulls the surprise on us surprise this is not a revenge story this is a story about what happens when you find out that everything you ever believed in your life is a lie it's or a lie. not is not what it seems to be suddenly and then we were talking about antagonist and protagonist suddenly we get this massive shift and the uncle doesn't seem you, you look at the uncle who gets driven out of Norway by King Finehair, and he says something to his younger son that he has with Nicole Kidman after, you know, they, they settled there. And he says the son is like, Dad, I don't want to do like slave work. Like, don't we want to look strong in front of our slaves? And he's like instilling these lessons of humility where he's like, listen, you should like learn how to be like a king, but you should also not be afraid to do slave work in case you ever become a slave. After his experience with fine hair and getting driven out, he's been humbled. He's kind of a bit of a changed man. People change. You almost feel bad for Klaus Bang's character. He's like, right. Yes, he did. He did overthrow the uh, another thing. Have you seen the last? Duel? That's what he did. 
Have you seen Ridley Scott's The Last Duel? Yes. Matt yes. Damon's character is very similar to Ethan Hawke's character because you get different perspectives on this knight or this king. Right. And you're like, oh, some people think that he's a hero. Other people think that he's a boorish idiot. And, you know, Nicole Kidman's like, he's an idiot. He was a more he was a moron. Right. He, he, he was just he, about gold and silver. He was just about overthrow. He was just about enslaving. He didn't care about me. And he didn't care about anything. And that's why, but your, your uncle, your uncle's the bomb. He's the man. I love him, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And so this rocks his world. And then she does something that takes us into thematic territory. That's also mm -hmm. covered in Nightmare <laughs> Alley, where we, we sort of um, basically the, the whole idea of what Oedipus Rex is, the whole idea of Oedipus is one of my favorite Greek, Greek myths is that Oedipus learns when Oedipus learns the truth, he has to like take out his own eyes because he, now that he sees things as they really are, he wants to be blind for the rest of his life. And what happens is basically it's basically kind of the same thing. Not, he doesn't take out his eyes, but his mother starts coming on to him. Just like we see how manipulative she is yes, and how she is like, she realizes she's kind of in a dangerous situation Here's my ultra violent berserker son who I who is born out of violence and capable of great violence in front of me. I've just told him the truth is what can I do? She sort of plays on his love for his mother. These very confusing feelings of like, I love my mother and now my mother's showing me affection, but it's not that kind of affection. It's, it's a different kind of love. It's a yeah. different kind of love. And it's like, this is weird. How She's like confusing me in this kind of way. And they, they break apart, but here's what's interesting. And this is the this is really what like made me just love this movie more than more than the revenge, more than anything. And we get lots of listen, there's gore, there's crazy deaths. Um, but the coolest part for me was that here's a revenge story that's not a revenge story at all, in the sense that like this idea of like a character basically finds out that his whole purpose in life is a lie. And what do you do with that knowledge? How do you move forward how do you carry things out and what ultimately kind of happens and i want to see what you what you get your opinion on this nate what ultimately happens is he's presented with this choice um where he can either run away he can run away with his new love the the slavic girl who he ends up marrying through a long convoluted circumstance um because he finds out that she's pregnant with twins and he has like this vision of his birth line through the, 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 the which family is tree. one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life is that oh, I loved it going up the family tree and seeing all the heirs and the ones that are dead are kind of like withered away and it goes up and up. Beautiful. That, so cool. Absolutely. It's beautiful, man. And you know, listen, I know you're a dad. I'm a dad too. And it was like a powerful image to see as like a father as like, cause what I think of myself, when you're a father or a mother, when you're a parent, you are just a you are just another link in a chain. Now, the chain you, doesn't you're not the yep. last link anymore. You know, mm -hmm. um, you're you part of like the sacred your replacements. Thing. Yeah, you yes. created your, your replacements. You're, you're and, part of this like sacred thing. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I love about this movie is that all the main characters have credible reasons for doing what they do and yeah. why they're why they're where they're at. The mother was was forced into slavery and had was and and uh, was you know was had a, had a child uh, you know against her will 
from a king who forced themselves on it. So she learned how to survive. Right. She learned how to manipulate. On the surface, right. you go, oh, wow, Nicole Kidman's character, she's just evil. She's the most evil character. And she's a survivor is what she is. She's using men in order to survive as you would if you're smart. And, it, uh, you know, the, the, the uncle character, he thinks that he's a better king than Ethan Hawke. He thinks his brother's an idiot, a boor. And he hates, you know, he hates his court jester. He hates his nephew. He's he grumpy. He's a very grumpy guy. He thinks that he doesn't deserve to be where he's at. He thinks he he deserves to be the king, and maybe he does. Maybe he would be a better king, but that's his lot in life. He can't rule if if you know he's not in, in the he, line. He's 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 a, he's actually he's a half. He's he's a bastard. Yeah, he's so, a bastard. So I know, and Alexander Skarsgård's character. He his entire existence is on this revenge that he's. He, you know, kind of like um, Arya Stark, basically, you know, his that whole thing. He's like, I'm going to avenge my father. I'm going to save my mother and I'm going to kill my uncle. And that's my entire existence. You know, once I get a chance to do that, I'll I'll become who I'm supposed to be. And then that whole scene comes up with Nicole Kidman. And it's like, I like this. I like being here. I helped kill your father and you're a fucking idiot. You know, nobody likes you. It's just like, how, you know, how do you come back from that where he goes, you know, oh, just kidding, you know, and just leaves or he has to be like, you know what? It's almost kind of like it doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong or true. I got to finish this. You're all going to have to die because I've already well, started he's, it. He's what happens next sort of sets us into like, I guess you would say that's the height of act two, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that sets off act three. And what he does is he goes into a, a, a blind rage upon learning the, the reality his true nature or his true origins, I should say. And he kills his cousin uh, mm -hmm. and he cuts out his heart and uses it as leverage against his uncle. Cause I guess Vikings need the heart or something. I don't know what that was about. There was a Viking. Um, you need a, Viking. a lot of ancient civilizations or old civilizations. You have to have the whole body because it's going to, yeah, okay. Right. It's got to like the Egyptians that they have to transfer to the afterlife. They have to be intact, you know? Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. He can't <laughs> go to Valhalla without his heart in his body. That's probably what it is. Right. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. and we see those brutal, just like in the show Vikings, we see a girl and you know what? I will say, this is the one thing where I almost feel like you benefit more not having seen the show Vikings because uh, some of the rituals won't seem as shocking to you. If you've seen the show Vikings, we're like, oh, yeah, that's what they do. They sacrifice a servant to join. Uh, oh, my God. The, the departed, the, you know, the Viking funeral is such a fucking great scene in this in this one. I think it's done yeah. better in, in this show than in the Vikings. Um, you know, it's just so it's actually kind of wicker manish, very frightening the way it's done. It's um, the, it's the old, pagan, dude. It's yeah, pagan, the oldest man. the oldest son is being buried. So his girlfriend or his wife or whoever his consort, servant servant, ser his servant is um is offered up and she willingly and they stab her to death and they yeah. you know they they anoint her before they do it and she's Total consensual consensual sacrifice yeah, they're yeah. into it they yeah. know that they'll be in valhalla you know with with their right masters or whatever so um right. i it, yeah it really gets into it and it it doesn't explain things either there's no character going this is a shamanic ritual that right. uh you know that brings crops for it all it, show baby all show all no show. tell I love it. I yeah. love and and like I said, if you've seen Vikings, you know what's going on. Like I knew everything that was going on. I was like, I recognized what they were doing or why they were kind of doing it. Um, 
and you know like from from the from praying to Freyer uh to and you have the woman with the white hair who's in the texas chainsaw massacre movie and mandy she plays the priestess she's awesome in this movie um I think she's some sort of Scandinavian uh, originally. I'm not sure. I think mm-hmm. so. Um, but what ends up happening is, and this is where the movie, my, you know, I gave it, I, I added the, my one critique of this movie is that it's, I kind of wish that like, I'm, I know we needed to see the revenge, but I feel like the, even the, the most brave, like ballsy thing to do would have been to take the movie on a completely different path from there. I don't know where it would go. Maybe it does always need to end in revenge like it does, but it's just the idea that like it starts off as revenge and then he realizes what he has. And then, you know, he's on a ship to like, go like, like be with his, his new bride and his twin babies. He has this vision that he has a maiden maiden King in utero and stuff. And then he's like, Nope, actually, you'll never be safe. I got to go and fight my uncle. And it's just sort of like, it's a little one notey for me. Like, it was a little just sort of like a tin. It's the one yeah. part of the movie that feels like frail tinfoil. I, you know? I saw that coming and it's just like, okay, of course. he's. I would have liked it better if they had, they did leave. And then you cut for it another 20 years or another 10 yes. years. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, Nate. Totally. And then the kids are born. Totally. They're living out in the middle of nowhere and the uncle comes back and he's ready for revenge or whoever, you know? Yes. That's what it would be. A group of guys have been looking for him and the, he, they attack and or whatever. And then he's like, I got to go finish this. And then he goes to find his uncle or whatever, something like on the volcano. No, you just, you just nailed it. The more believable thing would have been for another 20 years to pass. And uncle is super old now. And Oh, 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 it's not the uncle. It's his brother his mm-hmm. own brother, the son of his uncle. Mm-hmm. So the two half brothers, half cousins are the little, now... the, the little brother, the little one. He, yes. He's yes, yes. Cause he's come to get revenge because his older brother was killed. Mm-hmm. So, so uncle leaves the uncle leaves the picture and now the revenge it's so what, what ends up happening is, you have a story where revenge is transferred by blood. Like it's like this blood it's a disease. Transfer. It's, it's a, disease. a disease. Absolutely. It got passed from the uncle to the, to his nephew, to the brother cousin, to mm-hmm. back to, you know, like you could go all over. You could do a thing where, where, cause in the movie, the, the youngest kid is, uh, uh, Alexander Skarsgård kills his mother when she, jumps out of the closet with the sword and he stands right. right he kills his own mother which is brutal and like yes yeah. absolutely and then this the youngest son was hiding with her he jumps out and stabs him in the back and he kind of turns around and kind of slashes him let across him live. the chest let him live he could he could be he could live and he has got this big scar across his chest and he's no. like I, you know that's their beef and yep. you know the uncle's dying wish on his deathbed is for his son to realizes revenge and revenge comes full circle again and it's like yes. the sins of the father are visited upon the son oh, i had to work again. that out with you i had to work that out yeah with you. i don't yeah. want to like i don't want to take away again mr Edgar, we're, we're not saying we we're trying you. to improve upon the northman yeah. that was just we're just spitballing here we we're, love we're, we're taking an unsatisfied detail and sort of seeing how it could play out in a way that might make it more satisfying i was very satisfied with the epic listen we wind up at the at the base of the volcano which is oh literally hell and yep. they're dueling and that type of dueling is a particular type of duel in 
uh, in Vikingdom where you you basically um, you call someone out and they show up to a specific place and you have to duel them. And if they don't show up, then they lose all honor. And, um, you know, he ba- he takes his kid after after uh, Skarsgård, after uh, Amleth kills his own mother, which has to happen in the story. Like you can't not like that. That has to happen. Um, but didn't necessarily have to kill his brother, kills both of them, and then uncle, and now suddenly you feel, you look at uncle, and he's like, he's lost everything. He has lost everything because he killed his own brother. He set there all of this in motion. What I like about this movie, there isn't one character that I absolutely hate as a villain. They're mm, all sympathetic in their own way. Yeah, Like I said, they Every all have a reason one. for doing what they do, so... Yeah, so on the surface, maybe Nicole Kidman is evil, but like you go deeper, and there's a reason why she is what she is. She started you know, off as a slave. I mean, she started she off as a slave. She, she, yeah, of course she's gonna be bitter. She doesn't like these right. guys. So right. she's a survivor, and and the and the uncle thinks that he deserves to be a king, and and he actually comports himself a little bit better than Ethan Hawke, who's a little bit more brash and braggadocious. And he actually did force himself on Nicole Kidman, even though he does love his son. It's a result of a it's an R child. So it's just like, yeah, you know, like every character has positives and negatives. And it, except it's, Willem Dafoe, he's perfect. Willem Dafoe is fantastic. Poor guy. You know, he does. <laughs> oh, show his his Yorick head shows Skull. up later in the Yorick movie. Skull. Yorick, Yorick Skull. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it's that kind, was it's awesome. Kind of, that was I loved awesome. it. That was cool. And then he kind of communes with them from the dead. That whole scene, I thought that was Stellan Skarsgård at first. I was like, oh, he's acting with his dad. But it's no, it's oh, a different yeah, actor. Yeah, yeah. It's a, different, it's a actor. different actor. But I, for a, a minute, there, I was like, yes. It's a, so uh, there yes. are other people on the island besides, because there's the there's the rival there's an, family. There's another family. Exactly. So they're they're not too far away. Yeah, they're, they're spread out. But like mm-hmm. um, and then we see this. Uh, we see an element of of Ethan Hawke's ghost in the form of a raven, which is mm-hmm. also the symbol of Odin. And these ravens pluck on pluck on, pluck on the ropes, which I, I actually was okay with because it worked with that Hamlet yeah. sort of aspect of like, that's the ghost element of I'm here he to worship you. He worshipped Odin, did he not? Ethan Hawke's character. He That was his patron yeah. god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. In the in his little hut, mm-hmm. in his little, uh, he had the stone Odin, right? Mm-hmm. And, you um, know what? And it's a callback to the witch too. Yes, yes, and um, and the movie ends with both of them killing each other, uncle and and nephew killing each other yes. as expected. It's actually, it's kind of anticlimactic. It's just sort of like we know it's going to happen. It's they're fighting. We know it's going to end in both of them dying. Um, they're it's very, very King Arthur Arthurian with more Yes, King Arthur kill each other too. It's very Arthurian at the same yes. time. Excaliburian. Um, yes, <laughs> the, the Excalibur cinematic universe. Yes, um, but it 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 works, man. It works, and when we go to and I love the the title cards, just like we get in the Green Knight. We get the title cards as well with um, you know, the Gates of Hell or you know, whatever, whatever is going on. Uh, and also we get this whole element. There's, there's another element that we didn't discuss where he basically becomes like this phantom in the night where he's like mysteriously, he he's like, I'm going to fuck with this farm so bad before I exact my revenge. So he starts, he starts like killing all the guards, arranging their body parts, like a horse, like just brutal stuff. And he finds the, the, the noseless guard that, 
that attempted to kill him. And what does he say, Nate? He said, I forgot what he says. He says something like, uh, I'm going to finish what I started or something. Yeah. He, put, he says, I'm the guy. He he had, he confesses. We get a, a sense of catharsis in his confession. I'm the guy who cut off your nose and I'm going to finish the job or something. And he yes. pushes his blade into his face. It's that was that was a gnarly kill. There's a lot of great there's a lot of great violence and gore in this movie. There's a lot of decapitations. There's some fantastic, just gruesome imagery. But this is not I wouldn't call this an action movie at all. No, this, no, no, no. This is more in line with like the proposition or it's something. It's a drama, dude. It's Absolutely. A historical drama movie. You, you know? know? It's it's you know yeah it's it's not easily categorizable. It has a lot of the a lot of a lot of crazy stuff that horror fans might like. It has a lot revenge of revenge epic. A revenge history, epic. It's a revenge thriller drama. You know historical revenge thriller epic drama. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I love this movie. It was so gorgeous. Even when the you know if even if you're not into the plot or whatever or to the story, there's always something gorgeous to look at. Totally. Just like um, I watched. Have you seen Lamb? Uh, yes. Oh no 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 not yet not yet. Uh, that's the that's, one with the lamb baby that's another that one yet. where it takes place kind of out in the middle of nowhere and it's like okay. scandinavian middle of nowhere and it, the, the, the scenery is just gorgeous to look at even if you're not into the film which i was i love the movie it's just beautiful to look at the cinematography i just love some good scenery you know and this movie has mm. plenty plenty of that stuff to, to to go in spades and that that yeah the we haven't even talked about the sword yet you know, he taught, he oh, goes yes. to the, yes. the, the witch, the shaman witch or whatever, the he witch. Uh, he's like, look, dude, there's a barrow up the way. It's guarded by this ghost king. He's got this badass sword. You can only draw it at night or at the gates of yeah. hell, which is that volcano over yonder. You should go get that sword. It'll help you kill all these motherfuckers. Which is true because he cannot. Yeah. Well, Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because we said there's no magic in the story. Here's what's interesting. He doesn't, he uses the sword during the day to fight off a bunch of the guards, right? Mm -hmm. He never draws the sword. And you know what's interesting? I don't think he tries to. I don't remember. I don't think he tries to. I think he just believes what is he's told. So he just doesn't bother drawing the sword. That's the magic element of it. It's like, so I'm just not even going to bother drawing the sword. I'm just, he uses it like a, He's like he's like doing all these like self defense yeah. moves, you know. And he's well, like, ah, was, ah. Wasn't there? But wasn't there a scene when? Remember when he's sneaking around when it, the sun is about to come up and the uncle and his dudes are walking around? Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He's 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 spying on them on the other side of the door. He, he and that also to, has another great scene. He's trying to do it. He tries to draw the blade. He can't draw it. So You're there right. is magic right. in this movie. I guess <laughs> I, I hate that there is though. I love the idea. It's, of it's imagined a magic. I it's love like, the it's like a Viking epic, and those things have magic in them, like a Beowulf or or, or yeah. what have you. You know, they're retelling like a Greek legend. You don't really get to see that very often, like a Greek legend retold like this, or, or with, with the magic and with everything, you know, the Valkyrie carrying him off and all that stuff. I think that's all real. Which I needed, by the way. If it just ended with them dying, like we needed that little button. Obviously, it was coming. Obviously, we're gonna he was gonna get carried off to Valhalla, and it was done beautifully and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, um, we did need that little button again. It, it just I, there was I felt there were definitely missed opportunities with where to go. You you unraveled. You you just totally gave us a spin, turned everything on its head, and then you go up. Ah, now we're gonna go right back to the revenge. And like Rob, I'm like, I love what you did. Like, 
like what you did was super brave and crazy. Like keep going, go further, go off that, that well-worn path a little bit because you totally shocked us. And you take us into this Oedipal moment. I you can't say the movie is Oedipus Rex, but you could say it's an Oedipal moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and what's interesting is he does the opposite. He, he ends up, he, he ends up killing his mother, not his own father. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting mm-hmm. sort of twist. And then there's also like a teeny weeny bit of like Lady Macbeth in, um, in Nicole Kidman's character yes. as well. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That she's um, manipulating these things. One of the scenes that I have to talk about. Yeah. Is, and I don't really go into film Twitter much, so I don't know what people are talking about as far as the scenes in this movie. I did, I did see a couple of things where like Nicole Kidman is like on another level in this movie. And I'm sure they were talking about that scene, but there is a scene, like I said, when he's, he's starting his scourge of the, of the, the, the settlement where he's going to start messing with people. They, um, he's around sneaking around at dawn and, uh, the uncle and his, his buddies have just finished a night of drinking and he goes into the slave quarters and tries to have his way with a couple girls, including Anya right. Joy. And she reaches under her nightgown. This is the uncle, and, this is the uncle you guys. And the- gives him a face full of her menstrual blood. Yeah. And he and he's like, I ain't fucking with that. And then walks away. I was like, holy shit. Does that work? Because that was amazing. <laughs> I, you know, I got to tell you, I have a, like, it's interesting that it worked in that situation. Um, but I gotta tell you, man, like, I feel like that any other Viking would just kind of be like, okay, like just would kind of shrug that off considering, especially or, after the berserker scene we saw at the beginning or you beat know? the shit out of her or kill her or something. Yeah. He, he was just like, uh, I'm not really that into it. I'm not, I'm good. So yeah. it kind of goes to his character. Maybe he's not such a bad guy after all. Like, well, or maybe he's ashamed of his momentary yeah. wandering eye. Yes. Yes. You know, like he's not like you're he's not a Viking like his brother is, or at least, you know what? Like after getting exiled from his kingdom, he's become like a farmer. He's like this weird. He's like a farmer. He's not as much of a Viking anymore. Yes, he has slaves. Mm -hmm. And yes, he like, you know, worships the Norse gods. But he's like he's almost like a retired Viking. Mm-hmm. You know, just sort of living out his his days like quietly and peacefully. I mean, you have to imagine people in his position. You don't usually die a peaceful death. You either uh, he's you're right. He's not the traditional Viking. He's more of a thinker. He's like Scar. He's not a warrior. He is more of and he can fight though. Like I mean, he, he pretty much proved it at the end of the movie. He can still fight. Right. But right. he is more of a thinker than so the, than a berserker or anything like that. Which is what Nicole Kidman's character sees in him uh, on some level. And another interesting thing, to bring it back to Vikings, the idea of Floki, this character who's kind of like, he's like this genius. He's kind of like the Q of, if, if James Bond, like the Q, he's like the Q of the Vikings, like... He builds boats and like knows like his like technology and stuff. And like mm-hmm. he's also like super devoted to the worship of the gods. But like to him, the, the worst fate ever is to not die in battle. Like to become a, a simple farmer is something that he finds disgusting. So it's like it, it's interesting to use that to contextualize what Claudius, the Claudius character has become. He's 
not going to die in battle, at least not initially. Of course, eventually he does. That does end up happening. So that's mm-hmm. interesting, too. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a Floki is a great character in the show. He's a very frustrating, frustrating character, too, where you in the beginning of the show, you're like, oh, he's funny and he's goofy. But he takes a dark turn later on in the show Yeah, where you're like, I don't know if I like this guy. He's kind of an asshole. So, um, yeah, well. I just I haven't, I, I, I haven't gotten farther. I'm sure there's more yeah, to just it. Wait, than that. Just yeah, wait. Just yeah, wait. Yeah. I, I really want to oh man, that's a conversation I want to have with you at a later time after you've seen it. I really I can't say anything more. Because he's um, not down with the Christians. That's all I'm saying. Like he's a super old god kind of guy, and he does not like the Christians. That's all I'm gonna say. The old, yes, he likes the old gods, as most of these, as you see that in the opening scene where they're in the Christian Slavic village and they just have such disdain for these Christians, as does as does the uncle character when they're just like, you know, all of them when they think that that they've all been in, in cahoots with with Amaleth, and they're just like, you, you know, you these Christians did this to us, and like, you know, mm-hmm. vile Christians and yada yada yada. Um, and it's just interesting. It's just interesting. And it's interesting too how they, yeah, they just, they, they're, it's like, we're not just here to conquer you. We're here to like wipe you out and we're going to do that. And it was, that was to me, that scene killed me. The what that opening scene, seeing the children. And here's oh, the thing terrible. Here's where I want to applaud Robert Eggers, as you already kind of touched on this. I want to applaud him for, as you said, not he does not shy away from what the Vikings were. Nope. However, he very tastefully implies everything that the Vikings does. We don't see, I mean, we see this grisly act as about, as a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting that he chooses that to be the grisly act when there's probably many more he could have chosen from. It's like out of, it's almost like out of sight, out of mind. You have to imagine what's happening on the inside by burning, you know, a building with people inside like that. It's sort of like it's it's violent and brutal and yet at the same time like almost tasteful in in its in its execution. It's the same thing with you see these girls wandering off screen or being ha- like they're they're dividing up girls, they're dividing up kids. You see kids getting carried away and the moment that they end, they leave the screen you know that whatever, wherever they went is like the worst place ever, like the worst thing ever has happened to them just now. And Robert Eggers is basically saying like, I'm not going to show you that stuff. There's no reason to exploitatively show it, but I want you to know that it's here and that it's happening in the scene. And in a way it makes the scene even more brutal than if it was like some Serbian film you know, ridiculousness, you know what I mean? Well, you, it borders on comedy, unintentional comedy. If you, if you were to like go inside the building and they're all burning or whatever, it's oh just like, God. do you really need to, <laughs> do you really need to see that? Like, no, we, no. we know what's happening. It's already pretty horrible. Like, right. We don't want to need to see a bunch of fake fire, and people, right. you know, writhing around like that's, that's silly, you know? So exactly. Exactly. And I'm, it's just like, I'm all yeah. for gore movie violence. I love Me too. movie violence. Me too. But we get plenty of it in this movie. It's great. Sometimes what's not shown is more horrifying than what is shown. Could not agree more. It, it's like, and I'll tell you something, and it's something I try to experiment in my own work with. But it's, you experiment. It's something that I try to experiment in with my own work. The little work that I do is like using sound or implying things or cutting to like maybe the aftermath or sort of cutting away you don't need we don't need to see the full-on graphic nature of what is about to happen always and listen 
if you don't have the resources to do it, it's just going to look stupid anyway. You no, know what I mean? It, 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 there's there's something to be said for, uh, I don't know, say brevity or whatever. It, it, there's something to be said for having some tact and going, this is already a horrific scene. We don't need to go further. We're, we could ruin the tone. We could ruin Less the, is more. the scene. Less, Less is, is more. more. Exactly. Less yeah. is more. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's, okay, I, I think, I think we've, I think we've kind of, is there anything that we've have not, is there anything that we have not tackled in this story that really needs to be, um, discussed or analyzed? I feel like we've really hit all the sort of, uh, pressing things. Are we, are we missing anything? We, do, I mean, there's little details that we could talk about, but I think we've covered pretty much like the scope of yeah. the film. Like I liked his fight with the ghost knight. That was awesome. That was really right. cool. Right. You know, he he defeats him by letting him get into the moonlight. You're not supposed to touch the moonlight, which is kind of like almost like sunlight, whatever. Um, he kind of freezes up and then he 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 kills him. That and then he imagined really... he imagined the whole thing. That was the cool, yes. that was the best part. Yeah. You know, to to and... go back to that idea of like I guess mm -hmm. it's uh, is some magic, but it just depends on the situation. But I like the idea of like giving us our cake and eating it too. Like mm -hmm. we're going to show you some magic shit, but it's also like, like a actual historical accurate period piece in that kind of way. Or did it really happen? And then he's kind of had a time slip and now he's at the sword where he had this experience or he really did experience it psychically inside mm. his head or is it in his mind? You know, I, I think it's, it's in his mind. Or it's his, it was an it was an inception kind of heist kind of thing going on. I don't know. Um, the sports game, the whatever it's called, the old old school. Oh hockey yeah, cricket. you mean like beat the crap out of each other with clubs? Viking Quidditch, basically. So yeah. it's like five on five, slaves versus slaves. Um, yeah, you know, white shirts versus black shirts, basically. Yeah, and uh, you know they volunteer whoever the strongest servants. And they have they all have sticks and there's a ball and you have to get it into the goal and they're just beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. Uh, back and forth and back and forth. And it was, you know, if you get knocked out, if you get the crap beaten out of you're out of the game. So it's like last man standing, basically. So it comes down to Alexander Skarsgård's, you know, Amleth and this other huge brute on the other team. Yeah. And they're going for it. And the little the little kid, the little son. This is a key. This is a key brother. moment, actually. Yeah, the little the little brother. He's he loves the sport, but he's really impatient. He wants his team to win, so he gets involved when there's one on one left, and he tries right. to get get down the field and get the ball into the goal. And the guy on the other team is like trying to kill him, and Alexander Skarsgård like saves the kid. He get, the kid gets knocked out, but he saves the kid from being crushed. He was gonna he was gonna smack the ball upside the kid's head and kill him. He beats the shit out of him with his forehead and kills the guy. That was a brutal oh, scene. Oh, yeah, that was that was brutal. Oh, and that God. that's that was a good, you know, and it, it ended up being this crucial plot point because he needs to gain the trust of or he ends up gaining the trust of the family. And then I started to wonder, oh, are we gonna have like this departed sort of thing where, you know, or or rather not, yeah. Oh, it happens in the departed and it happens in gangs in New York. Where you have the um, the attachment to the antagonist um, that they become close. So I thought for a minute that maybe Amaleth was going to like become really close with his uncle. And I thought that would have been interesting too. Um, and then yeah, the 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 what's I love the the tension between the cousin, the the much skinnier, weaker cousin, and his and 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 uh, Amaleth, and how like the, he just doesn't even realize that that's his like that's his cousin. That's not a slave. 
That's this, his cousin. And this guy could kill him with one, one right. punch. You know, basically, like, right. I, I love shitty villains, like Weasley villains like that. They have no idea how close right. to death to death that they are right right then you know then they're still weasley shitheads and so and then they are and then they are actually they 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 die at the hands of like i mean when he meets his his cousin he's literally meeting the killer i liked that he was asleep there was no confrontation he's not he doesn't get his comeuppance yeah i kind of wish he did He's asleep and he gets his heart ripped out while he's in bed, like yeah. Friday the Thirteenth style. It just just speared yeah. right through his bed. So that was but, great. But that scene really drove home the 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 again to just clarify the the rage, the angst, the 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 shock that he feels as a result. Hold on, I'm going to pull up one thing here because we're talking about this. Um, it's important. It's um, it's from it's from when I was in college. I took Greek mythology mm-hmm. in college, which was one of the literally one of the best classes I ever t- took. I took an elective took. for Greek mythology and I loved it. It was one of my favorite classes. It, it, it like shaped my understanding of the world at, the t- at that time. And I was going through my binder and I found this. I found notes from class and. It just has this like really, I mean, it was like really heavy to like find this actually. Like I was like actually like, blown away that I found this sort of this thing. And <laughs> it's kind of hard to see here. I'm going to read this for you because it's you're not going to be able to read it. But basically the idea here is uh, at the top, you're going to see, you see columns. There's the Ovid, there's the Odyssey, there's Oedipus, there's Pluto, Matrix. And then there are these things. So Ovid is the creation myth, right? That's the creation mm-hmm. myth for all of Greek. Uh, uh, you know, Greek understanding, Greek creation. And then mm-hmm. these myths all explore different themes. Um, so with Ovid, it's creation, consciousness, transformation, metaphor, archetypes, irony, explanation for things, human nature, gods, and laws, right? Yep. Uh, the Odyssey is the follies of man, warrior, uh, the discovery of the feminine in that, you know, Oedipus needs to uh, he needs to embody the feminine the way that his uh, wife needs to embody the masculine home, uh, the unconscious and the conscious, the journey, hero and enlightenment. Um, <clears throat> and then Oedipus is irony, God, fate, kinds of sight, self-knowledge, reversal of fortune, hubris, sins of the father. And I think all of those themes are present in the Northman. I think yeah, the Northman has a little bit of every column. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, to an extent. Yes, it does. And then you have the Pluto. Uh, you have Pluto's the 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 shadows in the cave, the the allegory of the cave, which is also the Matrix. And we watch the Matrix in class. Enlightenment, sight, allegory. Um, I can't read that. Oh, the good, light, reason, uh, seeking with soul, shadows of reality, the ascent. Uh, responsible truths, uh, justice, beauty, truth, um, uh, laws, DNA. And it's just all of these things are like, these are the, these are not just the tenets of, of human beings and human nature, but it's also like, it's also, it's, it's like the, 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 the factors of storytelling, you know what I mean? It's like the, the building blocks of, mm-hmm. 
of it's storytelling. Li- it's literally classic <clears throat> storytelling. Storytelling 101 right. is Greek mythology. So right. And know. and in the realm of Oedipus and this movie, you have you have um fate, obviously, and that's Bjork's character, and she she's spinning, she's the spinner of fate. You have kinds of sight, like all the different ways that he's seeing the world. He, you have self-knowledge. You have reversal of fortune. And I think that happens twice, his reversal of fortune. His first reversal of fortune is as a child when he gets when his father dies. And then the second reversal of fortune is when he finally comes in contact with his mother and finds out the truth. You have hubris, which I think would probably his his father had hubris. Uh, his uncle has hubris. I don't know if he has hubris. Do you think he suffers from hubris? His uncle? Maybe earlier in the... No, no, no. Um, uh, Amalith. Has Amalith suffered from hubris? I don't think so. Hubris? I, I don't think so. I think he's pretty humble about his his uh, his intentions, as misguided as they might be. Uh, right. Kind of. Or, or at least not naive. I don't know about misguided is the right word. He's a little naive. Um no, I don't think there's any hubris going on there. There really, I don't think hubris applies to any of the characters. Maybe Ethan Hawke's character. Um, yeah, I guess you're right. I, so we'll strike hubris from the from the situation, and then obviously sins of the father plays into uh, this sort of situation um, uh, in a variety of of different ways. And here's what's interesting too. One last thing, or at least I have one last thing to say. You know, if you have any closing remarks, you can give them. Um, in terms of sins of the father, another here's a strong case against the element that I was talking about that I didn't like the idea that he went that he dived off the ship to go and fight his uncle for what felt like a very tinny sort of reason. You could almost say that to spare his children the sins of their father he needed to put all of that stuff to bed. He could not carry on with the sins that he accrued now that he was a father expecting twins. So it's almost like him leaving is this sacrifice to avoid the sins of the father. Yeah. He knows that he's going to die. Like when he makes that decision to jump off the boat, he knows he's never going to totally see his family again. He knows that he's going to end this and that he's going to die. His uncle's probably going to die and it's going to end right there. The cycle of vengeance is going to end. So that's basically the decision that he's making. So yeah, it's poignant. It's sad. You want, you know, as a moviegoer, you want him to stay with his amazingly hot wife who's pregnant with twins, you know, Star Wars style. So, uh, I don't know. Well, well, here's the other thing too. I mean, then apply sins of the father to the Claudius character. His children, his family suffers from the sins of the father. By killing his brother, he sets these events into motion, creating this whole situation in the first place. Mm-hmm. Those are his sins of the father, right? Mm-hmm. And then, um, wait, there was one last wrinkle to that. Uh, oh, man, this is going to bother me. Sins of the father on that side, he, re- he goes back. Um, he has he suffers from sins of his of the father. Uh, I'm, you know what? I'm gonna remember it after we get off here. I'm gonna be really mad. <laughs> That's just the way the cookie the cookie crumbles. Um, so, how so yeah. would you rank Eggers' films in your your own personal ranking in the canon? So, I've only seen The Lighthouse and The Witch once each, both mm-hmm. in the theater. Love them both. 
I just haven't had to, I haven't had a need to revisit them yet. There's, I was talking about, I was joking with Bob. Bob's like, I've seen this film 2000 times. And for me, like there are some films that I compulsively watch over and over again, like Return of the Living Dead and stuff. I'm like, of course there are movies that I've seen a million times. But in general, I try my best to like watch a movie once and move on because there's so many movies to watch. There's just so there, much to see. There is. I'll be lucky if I get to a movie like in my lifetime, like three times. That's not like Robocop or Aliens or Term. You know what I mean? Right. Like the Things usual. that you've watched a million times. Like that's like, dude. Same way. Same way. Like a really great movie. Like I, I, I don't even know. Give an example. Someone would be like, that sucks. But, you know, something like The Revenant, which I really enjoyed. How many times am I actually get to sit down and watch that? Maybe two, three times. You know what I mean? I saw it once and I was good. Like if I, you know, I, at some point, here's what happens. And it's always different for movies. Like at some point, I'm like, oh, man, I get like this craving, like a hankering to watch it again and suddenly I'm seeking it out and ironically it's never available to me when I'm seeking it out of course that's, that's why I collect physical media I collect physical media even for movies I've never watched before I will buy them so I can watch them at my leisure and God don't get me wrong me. I like <laughs> I I have all the streaming services I do watch streaming but for me it doesn't hold a candle to physical media uh nothing I can holds watch a candle it. If I want to watch the specialist on Blu-ray or whatever, you know, if I want to watch the specialist or, you know, cliffhanger, I have it at home. I don't have to wonder what service it's on. And supplements, and you know, supplements and Nick, commentaries. Nick of Time with Johnny Depp and Christopher Walken, a great, great thriller that nobody talks about anymore. <laughs> Where are you going to find that? I have it on Blu-ray. I don't have to worry about. I love or how not. much you love movies. I you know, love that. I love how much you love movies. Like that's how much I love, I love movies. So like, much. I, like, cause it's just like the fact that you have Nick of time on Blu-ray. Like, I love that. I love Like I would never need to own that on Blu-ray, but I love that you love movies so much and care so much that like, you're like, I need like, this has to like, like those are your affairs. Like that's, that's the order of your affairs. I get it. I get it, dude. I love it. I, I could probably open a video store with my collection right now, if I wanted to, um, I thought about it doing like a basement video, but, but a, so many people are doing that. Yeah. I, you know, what about a little blockbuster where you put like a little, like, like take a book, leave a book sort of thing. Like, uh, uh obviously not with your personal good boutique copies or anything. I'm just mean like, right, right. Just, just set up. Like I have right outside. It was funny. We were joking about having a little library on our corner. I was like, I want to have a little blockbuster on my corner. And there's a play, there's a nonprofit that does it. There's a nonprofit mm -hmm. that has like all the material, like the design materials or whatever. And uh, I mean, you really don't need that. You know, what's you funny know what? too? People yeah, sorry, talk about, do people talk about laser rot with DVDs? I have tons of DVDs from decades ago. I haven't seen one single inch of laser rot on any of my DVDs. Me either. Me if you either. Keep, keep, if you yeah. keep them in a cool place, 70 yep. degrees, you yep. don't fuck with them constantly. You keep yep. them in the case. Yep. You're not going to get laser rot. It's just not yep. going to happen. You know, yeah, it happens to some DVDs, but you got to take care of them. And yeah. Blu-rays don't get laser rot. They'll be around forever. They'll be when they start. I hope so. Away, you'll be dead. So it doesn't really matter. I hope so. so. I really hope so. Because I got to tell you, I'm at a place now when Ultra HD came out. I was like, no, sorry, I'm off the bus. Like, obviously, will... I'll upgrade at some point, but I, yeah. I am perfectly happy with Blu-ray 1080. Blu-ray looks so good. So I'm going to tell you a little secret. Blue, uh, 4K looks great for films that were shot on film. That's just yeah, all oh, there really? is to it. Interesting. For, I did not know if you, that. If, if you're getting 4K of Avengers Endgame, 
just get the Blu-ray. You don't, you're not missing anything. The reason why is because all of those special effects and all those effects heavy movies that were shot recently, they're all rendered in 2k. You know, they're all rendered in HD, whatever, 1080p. Wow, I never thought about that. Because there's so much of it. It's not 4K like the rest of it. So it's not, you're not getting a huge upgrade. Now, are you, if you get Predator or Cliffhanger or Air Force One in, in 4K, yeah, that shit's going to look amazing. But uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But if you're going to get like... All right, a, you've convinced, you have convinced me what to go for. Because eventually I'm going to be buying Ultra HD. My point is, is that I'm not replacing... If, if something comes out on Ultra HD and I have it in like my boutique version on Blu-ray, it's it's okay. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll keep the book. I'm, I'm happy. I'm totally like, fine. Like a Criterion you know? Blu-ray, I'm not going to upgrade to 4K from a Criterion Blu-ray because yeah. it's a cool it's a cool set and it looks great. So who cares? Like who I'm cares? not. I, I just bought Miller's Crossing on Blu-ray Criterion. If they upgrade to a 4K, I'm not. I don't need to upgrade. I think it looks great as it is. So. I haven't seen Miller's Crossing in a long time, but you were at, you were asking me my ranking. So here's my ranking. I guess I'd have to really rewatch the witch again. And uh, I don't know if I need to rewatch lighthouse. I liked lighthouse by the way. I just don't know if I need to rewatch it. It was like a, so first of all, it's a movie you need to watch in a movie theater. That's a movie theater movie. You can't, I can't sit on my screen right here and watch the lighthouse. I have to be like transported to watch the lighthouse. I'm going to say Northman, the witch, and then Lighthouse. That's my order. Who do you think is a trippier filmmaker? Um, David David Eggers. Yeah. And trippier, I mean. Robert Eggers. Were, Robert, I'm sorry. Robert Eggers or Ben Wheatley. Um, I, th- I, I I guess you're referring to like a trip, uh, a field in England and whatnot. I'm going to yeah, say I'm, I'm Robert Eggers. If Robert you take Eggers, weed or psychedelics, down. which one of their movies would be more effective under uh, psychedelics or weed? Um, I guess I would go with Robert Eggers hands down. Um, I just think is, I I think, I think if I watched like high rise or like a field in England on psychedelics, I would just be like, like confused and tripped out, but there's something, the, the atmosphere, the dread in the witch, like, or even the lighthouse. Like, I just feel like the, those are soaked in, um, an aura like he really he is a master filmmaker in the same way like when I think of like masters of their craft here's some names that come up to mind where like what they're making is just like a mastery of like the cinematic image I think of Wes Anderson I think is a fucking cinematic master personally I just think like he is such a command over the image what he wants and yes he does the same thing over and over again like like style he doesn't really break out of his style but it's so glorious it's there's something so precise and perfect about it it's just beautiful I think Eggers is a master in the making I think Tarantino is obviously a master these are people who just make uh glorious epic looking um interesting films and whatnot um, I'll watch anything that Eggers does next. Uh, supposedly, he's doing Nosferatu. Word on the street is that maybe Willem Dafoe will be in it, uh, reprising his think, role. Do you think that's a little redundant after Shadow of the Vampire? Well, here's the thing. I think Shadow... Yeah, first of all, Shadow of the Vampire is pretty much... Yeah, No, I don't think it's redundant because uh, what Egger is going to bring a whole new flavor to Nosferatu that's not there. I'll tell you what Edgar's going to do, knowing Edgar based on what he did with the Northman. 
And this is something that I've recently sort of um, has been a revelation to me. Um, and I'm going to say, I want to put a disclaimer before I say what I'm about to say. I love Nosferatu. Can we get that out there? I love Nosferatu. I'm not trying to cancel Nosferatu or say Nosferatu is bad, but I want to acknowledge that Nosferatu and essentially Nosferatu is kind of like the Jewish version of, of Aunt Jemima. Ooh, you know what? You just made a good point that I never even thought about. It's, it's yeah, it's yeah. Nosferatu is a Jew. For those of you who are not aware, Nosferatu is a blood sucking, plague carrying, um, you know, rich uh, guy who's invading your country and spreading disease wherever he goes. He's wow. got a long fucking nose, pointy ears, sharp fangs, and he drinks blood. What does that come from? Blood libel. What's blood libel? It's the idea that us Jews, that we that we drink the blood of children. And it's been around since the Middle Ages. And, and it was directed and, by a movie directed by a German fellow. So well, here's what's interesting. It's written by a Jew. Oh, what? And it's directed by a gay man. Now, hold on, Nate. Oh, I did thing, not though. know that. I did not know that. that. Oh, I did. Nate, you should really listen to my three-hour dissertation about the anti-Semitic history of Nosferatu. It's a rabbit hole, and it's fascinating. And again, I'm not here to say, oh, we can't. Oh, Nosferatu problematic. No, no, I'm no, not no, saying no, that at all. Not. Yeah. I'm just acknowledging, we're acknowledging the roots of what this thing really is. Now that you and, explain it, it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Right. I saw the look on your face when you said when you realized, like, wow, here's wow. the thing. <laughs> Eggers, Eggers is going to put add that layer. Because here's the thing. Nosferatu is adapted from Count Dracula. Count Dracula is written by Bram Stoker. Bram Stoker was a huge anti-Semitic dude. His description of, of Dracula is the visual of Nosferatu in the 1922 film Nosferatu that they took their description from, from Bram Stoker's Dracula because it's an unauthorized remake. Those descriptions were based on descriptions of Jews from the middle ages. So as you see, it's all there, it's all interweaved together. And then to take it one step further, when the third Reich rises a decade later, there are, there's a lot of posters out there of Jews and what Jews, um, you know, uh, Jews with rat like features. If you've been to Yad Vashem, it's which is the Holocaust Museum. They they show you all these crazy sort of super like the equivalent of what black people have experienced in our country for for decades. Like these these very racial, you know, you've seen those 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 terrible racial uh, depictions of black people or characters. I don't even want to say it on YouTube. It's S A M B O. Yeah. Uh, that, that sort of thing. So Nosferatu is the S A M B O of Jews essentially. And mm -hmm. what's interesting is I challenge. It's like, would you wear a Nosferatu shirt into a synagogue? Like, I guess wow. it depends on the situation. Mind. Like you're essentially wearing that's like wearing like a Redskins cap at a reservation. And I would challenge anybody who says no. Okay, so would you wear a Redskins cap to a reservation? I don't think so. I don't think you would. Because you wow. know what you know that it's that's how you have to look at it. It is a character. It's a racial characterization of a Jew. And what I kind of like about it is, especially like when you consider like anti-Semitism stuff, it's kind of like we have our own monster 
like i kind of like that i kind of think that's interesting like it's kind of cool like i kind of like that nosferatu as a jew in a weird way but make no mistake about it that's the history and what robert eggers would do i think i have faith is that he would look into this history because if you're an expert if you're familiar with nosferatu you know about the very realistic anti-semitic history of nosferatu and i would love to see how that gets incorporated it's a very weird sort of uh movie made by people who are not like racist necessarily there's no r documented record where fw mariner was like yep we're gonna make a subversive movie about jews but it is at the time there was a lot of anti-semitic sentiment be after post-world war one you know jews are being blamed for the state the economic state of germany and so now you're making this movie about this invader coming into german society so subconsciously it's all there or in the way that we make movies as horror movies or political things or or have social messages these things get weaved into the film whether they're intended for hateful reasons or not you bring up a good point and that brings me to a tidbit i did see on social media is that there were some people and film twitter is such a boondoggle it's such a quagmire but you know <laughs> you never know what you're going to get people making all these declarative statements and there was something going around recently. I don't know if it got quashed, but there were some people saying that Robert Eggers is a white supremacist basically because he looks like one and that's what? it. There was no other basis. And they're saying that, you know, and, and cause Vikings, you know, Vikings, some people think, right. That, the Norse, know, the Norse, uh, symbols. supporting Viking culture is white supremacy. And the runes. Stuff. Yeah. So, so Isn't that was going bad. around, but like, have you seen the witch? Like that is a feminist film. Like, yeah. How can he be a white supremacist or a, a misogynist after making something like, like I, the witch? I do not think he is that at all. And yes, guys like, you know, who Varg is from like the, uh, the, the black metal guy who's like a neo-Nazi and like killed the guy from mayhem, the story from Lords of chaos, Varg. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He probably is going to like, you know, jerk off to like the Northmen and be like, yes, this is movie it was made for me. <laughs> like that sort of thing. By the way, funny side note, Lords of Chaos, the guy they got to play Varg was a Jew, which really upset Varg, who is a very anti-Semitic dude. So like you have this like Jew wearing like a Nazi flag in the movie. <laughs> but um, no, I, I have never, I haven't heard anything of the sort. I want Eggers to make Nostrachi because A, he works with Defoe. B, he's going to bring so much to this movie. And C, I like to imagine that if he can address the things, I mean, if it was like a Viking, you know, if he if he was really trying to like hold Vikingdom in like higher regard, being like a neo-Nazi or like a white supremacist, do you think he would show the Vikings pillaging and doing what they do? Like, I feel like he's like addressing these things, not... I mean, look at the way that Ann Taylor Smith like uses her period blood to repel Claudius, yeah. right? Like, it's yeah. not. I don't. I. I do. I do not see any of that at all. If and anything, Alex, Alexander yes, Skarsgård is the one that came to him with the idea for the Northman. He was right. the one that was like, "We should do a Viking movie." You know, absolutely. So it wasn't even Robert Eggers. Eggers. I mean, Eggers obviously went with it and got really into it and loves the history of it. But it was Skarsgård all along. He was pushing Eggers. He to dives make into Eggers dives in historically to whatever he's doing. He's going to pour himself in. So you can't. I don't blame him. And I'll tell you one last thing. If you would now to to contrast, you have a guy like S. Craig Zoller, whose films 
I really love. I was going to bring love... this up. He's a yeah. great pulp filmmaker. He does a lot of edgy stuff. Right. He's been called out for possibly being a racist. Well, Dragged I, I Across don't... Concrete is really where he starts to push the envelope. I felt I loved Dragged Across Concrete, by the way. Loved it. But this is where it starts to. It, I, it's like, yeah, really pushed it out there. Like, I think what... he likes to push buttons because the black yes. characters in that movie are the smartest characters in the film. So that's true. It, that's technically, true. He, I don't know if he's a racist. I think he just likes to push buttons and is a very edgy kind of grindhouse. Not a grindhouse, but a pulpy storyteller. And, you know, he got flack for the, the troglodytes in in Bone Tomahawk. They said that was right. insensitive to Native Americans. And so it could, be, it could be it could easily be read that way. But here's the thing, Nate. Here's the thing. Ultimately, it comes down to this. Um, this idea of of compartmentalization and separating art from the artist. And, you know, um, there's different levels. It's very subjective. It's hardest to do with stand-up comedians, I think. I think it's uh, less; it's it's slightly less hard to do with singers and musicians, guitar players, and I think it's m easiest to compartmentalize with films, for the most part. Like, if a filmmaker is not starring in the movie, that you can almost look at the 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 piece itself separate from the person who's making it and whatever stuff, even if they're putting like bad stuff in the movie like maybe s craig zoller is putting these messages in at the beginning with like all that stuff that happens i still can sit and watch. i've only seen it once actually but i would definitely re-watch it i could sit and watch dragged across concrete because it's just great character and filmmaking i just loved i loved it i loved watching it even even with that stuff which i saw and saw as problematic i still am able to compartmentalize and that's just me I... personally I think there's a huge difference between showing problematic characters and agreeing with them. I think that you, you as an artist, you have an, I don't know if you have an obligation, you kind of have a duty to present characters that the way they should be presented without don't fake the funk on a nasty dunk. Like they used to say in the nineties, <laughs> you know what I mean? All right, yeah. Like, but here's the thing. If like, you, sorry, go ahead. If you're going to show me a terrible, de, de, you know, awful, I mean, you, you, I don't want to bring my book out, but there's my, my book is a cavalcade of shitty, awful characters, Yes, it is. but I put, my, I, I put moments in there that make you kind of go, all right, I'm along for the ride, you know? So it's just like in dragged across concrete. Yeah. Mel Gibson's character is a racist. You know, Vince Vaughn's character is almost a racist too. And they, they get, but the movie isn't going, Oh, look at these guys. They're having some more hijinks. Isn't that so adorable? Like it's not, they don't go, wow, this is great. I'm totally on these guys' side. They're just characters. And if you Here's think the difference. That, if you think they're good people, that's on you. That's not on the director. I think if you think they're shitty, awful people, that's also you. And that's it's characters are kind of a window onto your own soul. Okay, that's those are all really good points. I would only I would only add this, and then we have I have to do a quick commercial break, and we're gonna have to wrap up the show. Yep. I would only add this. I think that I, everything you just said super valid. Agree with it. Um, I would add two, or I would pepper it with this: the idea that is what you are saying. Um, are you communicating intentionally or unintentionally? Are you communicating? a negative message that ha uh, a negative real world message in what you were saying, 
like whether it's pretend or not like is there a like what like are you communicating something like that and i feel like that does happen in s craig zoller's films which is why people get all huffy and puffy about them and get upset about them because there that message is there if you're looking for it in the same way that we were talking the other day about Bohemian Rhapsody and how, like, you know, I, I personally, when I watched Bohemian Rhapsody, I saw a parable of, like, oh, uh, Freddie Mercury's homosexual, you know, proclivity was a vice. Like, the fact that he was gay was, like, this secret vice. Like, instead of the drug montage, it's like, oh, he's going to truck stop bathrooms and having sex with dudes, and that's his dark side. That gives him AIDS. And it becomes a parable of don't have sex with guys at truck stops because you're going to get AIDS. You're not going to be able to have families with the the one female love interest that you had earlier in your life who shows up like at the end of the movie with a baby and is like, and it's just like, oh, what could have been Freddie? What could have been like if only Freddie hadn't had that gay sex, then maybe he would have ended up with that girl and had a nice baby instead of with AIDS. Like it, that yeah. kind of thing, you know? Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody was not gay enough. And it was not gay enough. Rocket Man, on the other hand, was <laughs> oh perfect. <laughs> so much gayness. They, they like that that beach scene. I was so it's funny. I went into the the Elton John movie and I was like, this better be gayer than the Bohemian Rhapsody movie because I was like, Freddie Mercury was like a bacchanalian, like pansexual, like god who just like had everything. And mm -hmm. that we didn't see one dick. There wasn't a single peen. Not that I need the peen. But my point is, is that like this is a movie about a gay man or a man who 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 had sex with everybody, including men. And therefore, you would think that a dick would fly fly on screen at one point or another. And I was very surprised at the uh, what's it called? The the scrubbing, the uh, what's it called? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Sanitization of yes, gay, of gayness in Thank you. Rhapsody. Thank you. They, they had to make it uh, acceptable for the straights. Homogenized, just, homogenized. Just enough gay stuff where you can watch right. it and, and, you know, not be uncomfortable. But like Rocket Man is is where it needs to be when his relationship with Richard Madden, I'm a straight man. And Richard Madden was so good looking in that movie where I, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'd fuck him too. be like, <laughs> you know, it, it was good. Exactly. It was well, it was well portrayed. So I thought that was, that was good. Exactly. And that's why if Rob to bring this all back around before we go to our sponsor message, that's why I trust Robert Eggers with Nosferatu fully and would hope that he would, in fact, maybe even explore the anti-Semitic origins a little bit more and bring it more to that to the surface because there's not enough awareness about it. Um, with that said, I want to thank Nathan so much for coming on the show. We we ended up talking about a half hour more than we intended to, maybe a little more, a little less because that's that's restraint on our part. That we really restrained because this could have easily gone two and a half hours. Um, we're running a contest with our sponsor, riotstickers.com. If you need stickers for any reason, go to riotstickers.com. They have the best kind of stickers, and we're doing a special promotion with them. Use the promo code from us. Link is in the description. You get 50 stickers, really good deal. Uh, we're also doing this contest. So you go to riotstickers.com backslash win, and you can win 20 free custom t-shirts with any design you want. From riotstickers.com. As you can see, they printed the banner that's up right behind me, the From Us banner. They do a good job with, with, with what they do. Let's play the little 60-second video real quick. Hold on to your butts. 
Hi, I'm a guy from RiotStickers.com, the merch company known for being the bomb. Do you hate going to work? But like getting paid? Do you hate snow? But want to make sweet, sweet love to a snowman? That was unexpected. All right, what about this? Do you hate paying for stuff, but like having custom t-shirts? You are in luck. We can't help with the snowman thing. That's probably going to take a therapist. But RiotStickers.com is giving you a chance to win a free order of custom shirts. And entering is easier than like making sweet, sweet Get her out of here. All you have to do is simply go to riotstickers.com slash win and enter your name and email address. Riot Stickers will have a random drawing to pick a winner. So head to riotstickers.com slash win for your chance to win free custom shirts. And be sure to check out other custom merch while you're there because it is the bomb. Riotstickers.com, Riotstickers, we are the bomb. Ba-boom. So, um, one last thing. What's up, Ron? Ron's in the house. How you doing, buddy? Great guy, Ron. Um, One last thing. Um, Nate does a podcast called The Real 96 Podcast. Make sure you check that out. Nate also runs the Film Festival's Genre Blast Film Festival. We love the Genre Blast Film Festival. We were talking about it earlier. Create wonderful community there. Uh, They program really great genre fair. And you go there, and we all hang out and chew the fat shoot the shit uh there's an aldi and if you're driving from the east coast you might pass by the lamplighter hotel where you can get away from your problems so take a trip down the road to the lamplighter hotel leave your worries in a drawer you never know what's in store at the lamplighter hotel um uh what is your what is your handle on twitter you can find me on instagram and twitter at luganhausen that's l-o-o-g-e-n-h-a-u-s-e-n and uh, I'm on fa- on the Facebooks as well. You can find Genre Blast and me on Facebook too. 150% Genre Blast is happening um, uh, Labor Day weekend this September. Make the trip out. Winchester, Virginia. It happens at the Alamo Draft House, my favorite venue for watching movies. I only go to the Alamo Draft House if I can help it. I didn't have to see the Northman somewhere else and someone was on their cell phone. By the way, real quick, if you ever want to get someone off their cell phone and you don't want to talk to them while you do it, all you have to do is turn your brightness up really, really high and then shine the light right on them. You never even have to take your, your hand off the screen. Just wave your phone with the bright light on them and they will get the picture and stop looking at their phone. It's a wonderful, super aggressive, nonverbal way to get the point across that you don't want their phone on. Um, so give it I a love shot. it. Yes, yeah. give it awesome. give it a shot. Listen, uh, Nate, I'm going to boot you out of here because we'll, we'll talk later. We'll talk in the chat or whatnot. I'm going to boot Nate out of here and tell you guys a, a little bit about the Patreon. So everybody say goodbye to Nate. Thank him so much. Nate, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Until next it. time. Until next time. Always enjoy these. Um, let's let's kick Nate out of here. Get out of here, Nate. He's gone. Nate is gone. Um, I just want to let you know, uh, if you have not yet, check out uh, the Pizza Punk episode leaving if you're a patreon or a youtube member it's going to come about for everybody else is going to see it it's going to drop soon i got to talk to punk icon leaving for about an hour was a wonderful conversation so definitely worth checking that out if you don't know about the patreon let me tell you more about it i'm going to do that right now uh peace and hair grease hey guys what's going on it's jeff so i've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy 
for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it going to be successful? I don't know. But I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time, uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. (laughs) So right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee. But it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. (laughs) The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates that subscribes, that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.